Welcome to the Politics of Fish podcast, the American Sport Fishing Association's bi-weekly podcast covering the people, organizations, and issues that impact the recreational fishing industry. I'm your host, Mike Leonard, Vice President of Government Affairs for ASA. On this episode, we're going to go in a slightly different direction. I do have an interview coming up with ASA's Martha Gaius, our Southeast Fisheries Policy Director, to talk about a South Atlantic Fishery Management Council meeting. This is following up on an episode we did a few weeks back about Red Snapper and all the drama around Red Snapper, both in the Gulf of Mexico and the South Atlantic. We had a really important meeting and important action or really lack of action taken at the South Atlantic Council meeting several weeks ago. Um, It was great news, but it was also a really neat uh, example of when the sport fishing community steps up, gets involved in the advocacy process and um, lets your voices be heard that this really can have a difference. And we saw that in action at this meeting and hopefully um, that can uh, can lead to uh, further positive news in the future and hopefully get Red Snapper and uh, other issues if we continue to make sure that we're active in the way we need to be uh, headed in the right direction. But before we get into that, I was gonna give a quick rundown of some legislative activity in Congress. I'm based uh, in, in the Washington DC area as is ASA's headquarters. And we spend a lot of time on Capitol Hill uh, keeping track of you know the big picture stuff that you see and hear about in the news, but especially engaging in the uh, policy issues that affect fishing access, conservation, trade and commerce issues that uh, impact the uh, the sport fishing industry. And uh, sometimes that relates to the big picture stuff. Sometimes not. But you know the the big action as we're heading closer to the November midterm elections uh, and, and Congress is um, getting out of town as we speak. But the big action was ensuring that the federal government continued to be funded and operating kind of the bare essential work that Congress needs to get done. And uh, so Congress is heading out of town. We're recording this on September 30th. The Senate and the House have passed continuing resolutions to fund the federal government for the next couple months to at least get us through uh, past the midterm elections. And we'll see what transpires after that. But uh, no government shutdown looming at the moment. There was a lot of discussion leading up to this around uh, what to do with a energy project permitting reform uh, proposal that Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia had been working on as part of an agreement um, related to the uh, Inflation Reduction Act from uh, a little while back. That ended up not being part of this continuing resolution, but something that we'll get addressed later on. While all that drama was going on at the big picture level, we've had some, uh, some legislative activity on issues a little bit closer to home that relate to recreational fishing. Uh, One that we're really excited to see come about, one that ASA has been working on for uh, a good long while now, is uh, called the Youth Coastal Fishing Program Act. This is a bill that would create a program within NOAA Fisheries, the National Marine Fisheries Service, which manages all federal marine fisheries. Uh, And the program would uh, provide grants to projects that take kids, especially underserved communities, fishing. So first time fishing experiences for kids along the coast and in the Great Lakes And this is uh, really designed as we were looking across the federal land management and natural resource agencies. It was designed to sort of fill a gap where you've got other agencies like the National Park Service, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Bureau of Land Management, others that have dedicated programs aimed at getting people into the outdoors, into federal uh, public lands so that they can enjoy all the benefits, the physical mental health benefits that being outdoors can provide. But when you look at the National Marine Fisheries Service, it's a very regulatory heavy agency. They do, they're the ones that develop all the fishery management plans and regulations for federal marine fisheries, uh, like Red Snapper that we'll hear about in a little bit. 
uh, but really they don't have a, a dedicated program at, uh, kind of on the people side of it. How do we make sure that people actually are encouraged to and actually getting out there and accessing these resources that they're managing? So that's where this idea came about. Let's create a program that helps facilitate those connections to the outdoors, especially the coast and the Great Lakes. And given the challenges we know in particular of underserved communities, whether it's economically disadvantaged communities, racial and ethnic minorities that don't have either the access uh, to the outdoors or just sort of that uh, tradition or the knowledge, the, uh, you know, there's a, a wide range of barriers that can often be presented that prevent people in, in underserved communities and sort of a broad definition standpoint uh, from taking up fishing in the same way that uh, current anglers largely did, where, you know, it's it largely passed down from uh, parents or, or older relatives or uh, older friends and family. So how do you make those first-time connections? And there's a lot of great programs going on throughout the country to do just that, either led by state fish and wildlife agencies, local cities, municipalities, fishing clubs, uh, tons of great work to, to get kids outdoors, fishing for the first time, getting more comfortable, confident, learning how to do it in the future. And the more we can do that, um, the better. So this bill was introduced. Uh, it's a relatively small program, $2 million, but that can go a long way, um, especially with so many of these programs relying on volunteer support and in-kind contributions. Uh, you really just need a little bit of money to get them up and running. The bill was introduced by uh, Congresswoman Maria Salazar from Florida, Congressman Don McEachin from Virginia on the House side. On the Senate side, it's the chair and the ranking member of the Senate Commerce Committee, uh, Senators Roger Wicker and Maria Cantwell. So we've got a really great combination, got several dozen co-sponsors from across the country, uh, Republicans, Democrats. You know, you would think that taking kids fishing is something that just about everybody uh, could and should get behind. So excited to see this one come about. Uh, we have a action alert on keepamericafishing.org that I would encourage uh, all the listeners to go uh, check out, um, make your voice heard. It's just a few clicks and get your letter um, submitted to your members of Congress, urging them to support this bill. Uh, and it really goes goes a long way to do that. So again, go to Keep America Fishing, go to the Action Center, and, uh, and make your voice heard on this Youth Coastal Fishing Program Act. Another bill we're working on, maybe not as uh, warm and fuzzy as taking kids fishing, but very important for uh, anyone that fishes to, to be keeping tabs on this and weighing in, uh, deals with lead fishing tackle. This is a perpetual issue that we at ASA, the sport fishing industry, deal with. Uh, it comes up in a variety of forms. It uh, is a discussion that tends to not be based on science and good management, but rather on optics and emotion, which is never a good way to do policy or, or management of natural resources. But there's a, a bill that I'll get to in a second, but first, what led up to it? The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service recently um, released its latest round of expansions of wildlife refuges to hunting and fishing. So that's a great thing, right? We should all be happy that the Fish and Wildlife Service is creating more hunting and fishing opportunities and wildlife refuges. Uh, there's hundreds of these across the country, but uh, the problem is there was a pretty significant catch this time around in that in these expanded opportunities, so areas where hunting and fishing wasn't allowed, at least not to the extent that it will be when this goes forward, you won't be able to use lead ammunition or fishing tackle in these refuges. There is literally zero science being being provided by the Fish and Wildlife Service to support this. Uh, it's just sort of a generic lead is bad and therefore we're not going to allow it. It fails to account for the centuries that lead has been used to, uh, in fishing tackle. I won't get into the ammunition arguments, but there's a lot of parallels over there too. 
and just sort of overgeneralize assumptions that, you know, because you've got things like the Flint, Michigan water crisis and, you know, legitimate problems with lead that therefore we're going to uh, go after the fishing tackle side too. Ultimately, it's going to drive up costs. It's going to deter people from fishing and really have no biological or human health benefit whatsoever. And the biggest concern with this proposal, because we're really just talking about a handful of wildlife refuges where uh, lead won't be allowed, but it's clearly a camel's nose under the tent where if they're doing it here with no scientific basis, and this is again, a regular cycle that the Fish and Wildlife Service goes through generally once a year, then is this the standard going forward? And are other federal agencies going to look at this and say, hey, we don't need to manage our uh, our fisheries based on science. So let's just sort of cave into emotional concerns or whatever might come up. So really problematic rule. Uh, in response, you have a big, a big broad set of um, members of Congress that have um, spoken out against this. We've got bills in both the Senate and House that would um, essentially reverse what the Fish and Wildlife Service did with this rule. It doesn't say you can never ever uh, regulate lead fishing tackle ammunition. All it says is that in order for federal agencies to do that, it needs to be based on science, clear data from the, the area that you're managing that shows that lead uh, is causing some sort of wildlife population issue. Because again, there's not been any evidence provided whatsoever in this case. Um, as well as uh, it, that this is consistent with the state in which the refuge or piece of uh, federal land is located uh, and that the state fish and wildlife agency has supported it. State fish and wildlife agencies are experts in fish and wildlife management. If you're making some sort of decision about a conservation concern with fish and wildlife, the, the state agency needs to be at the table and needs to be largely driving that decision, which again has not happened in, in this uh, Fish and Wildlife Service wildlife refuge expansion. So. Um, this bill, uh, again, introduced in both the House and Senate, similar to the Youth Coastal Fishing Program Act, we've got an action alert up on Keep America Fishing, so please go check that out. Another one where just in a few clicks, you can send a letter, personalize it as you see fit, but send a letter to your um, two senators and your representative urging them to support this bill as well, which again, I think is really important, good public policy, hopefully a shot across the bow to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service that... Um, that you can't make decisions like this and not uh, expect there to be a reaction from folks that care about conservation and good fish and wildlife management. So again, go to Keep America Fishing, check that one out, as well as uh, we've got several other action alerts issue pages up there to learn more about. So with all that said, you know, we'll continue to keep tabs on what's going on in Congress. Um, again, they're adjourning between now and the midterm elections. Who knows what the makeup looks like once we get through that and what the end of the year holds. We've got a bunch of other legislative priorities we're hoping get done uh, by the end of the year before Congress resets in uh, January. But with all that said, let's now transition to the interview. Uh, so again, had a great discussion with Martha Gaius, our Southeast Fisheries Policy Director, about all that's going on with South Atlantic Red Snapper. And uh, again, the importance of folks within the recreational fishing community keeping tabs on these issues being involved and showing up when you need to. So with that, we'll now transition to the interview. All right. Well, welcome, uh, Martha Guys, back to the podcast. Uh, second time participant on this podcast. I'm thinking that might be might be the first one that we've brought back. So um, Red Snapper is just, you know, the gift that keeps on giving. We'll, we'll have plenty of longevity with that topic. Um, but thanks, Martha. We wanted to have you on to give a, a rundown. There was an important meeting in Charleston a couple of weeks ago with the South Atlantic Fishery Management Council, um, uh, following up on a discussion you and I had a few months ago on this podcast about red snapper in general. Um, 
So Martha, if you could, uh, well, I guess first, just sort of the fisheries 101, if you want to explain what um, the South Atlantic Fishery Management Council is, and then from there, uh, you know, what were some of the main topics that were being discussed at this, uh, this meeting from a couple of weeks ago? Sure. So the South Atlantic Fishery Management Council is uh, basically they come up with recommendations for fisheries management and federal waters off of the South Atlantic states. So that's North Carolina, uh, South Carolina, Georgia, and then the East Coast of Florida down through the Florida Keys. Um, and federal waters on that side is three miles, three nautical miles off each state. So that council, they have three voting members from each state, one of which from each state is the Fish and Wildlife Agency representative. Um, and then there's also a voting member from the National Marine Fisheries Service, who's like the uh, regional administrator for the Southeast. There's a couple other people around the table in an advisory capacity, but those are the decision makers. And so the way they work is they come up with these amendments um, for that outline fishery management actions. They will vote on those. And then, you know, there's a couple of different ways for that to happen, but in general, that package goes to, to NOAA, and it's ultimately uh, NOAA and the Secretary of Commerce's call on whether to implement those recommendations um, in South Atlantic federal waters. So that's kind of the big um, big picture of how the South Atlantic works. So at this, this past meeting in September, the big item on a lot of people's minds was red snapper and the possibility of bottom fishing closures. Um, so a little bit about South Atlantic red snapper because I can't remember what I, what exactly I talked about with South Atlantic red snapper on the last podcast, but so this fishery is doing really well. It, uh, we're at a, an historic abundance. Uh, we have really good recruitment in recent years which means we have a lot of young fish entering the population. Um, you know, the council has put in really strict uh, regulations for South Atlantic red snapper over the past 12 years. It's been closed most of the time um, with very short uh, recreational fishing opportunities. Some years it's no fishing or no harvest. Other years, a couple of days here and there, like this year season was only two days. And um, those restrictions have been in place to address overfishing of red snapper and rebuild the stock as, as it is considered overfished. And so even though we're definitely moving in a positive direction with the red snapper population, it is considered um, to be still undergoing overfishing um, and it is overfished. Um, and so... The latest assessment that determined this indicated that the reason that we are still in this not good situation with red snapper is because essentially there are, there's lots of fish out there, but that means now that there are lots of discards of fish and you know a portion of those fish that are discarded are presumed to not survive. And so, you know, essentially we have so many people out there fishing, catching so many red snapper that 
we have a uh, discard mortality problem in the red snapper fishery. And so when the council met and talked in June about red snapper, so this was the, the previous meeting to the one I'm, I'm gonna talk about in this podcast, um, Noah, you know, kind of broke it down for the council and told them that, you know, to end overfishing, they need to reduce uh, discard mortality of red snapper by about 65%. You know, this is for a fishery that was open for two days <laughs> this year. Um, and, you know, they, you know, Noah at, the, at that meeting really was pushing the council to look at um, spatial area closures as a way to uh, keep people off the fish and so that they are not discarding red snapper. So at that June meeting, um, which was in Key West, uh, there's a person on the council from the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. Uh, it turns out that a lot of these discards are happening off of Florida. Um, you know, so the Fish and Wildlife Commission representative that was there, and then also a commissioner that attended the meeting, you know, they were pretty forceful in pushing back on this idea that, you know, the council needs to move full speed ahead with spatial area closures. But ultimately at that meeting, the council um, asked for all sorts of analyses so that they can, uh, about snapper, or, excuse me, spatial area closures and various pieces of data on red snapper and discards and the snapper group of fishery as a whole to help inform a discussion about whether the council should move forward with um, spatial area closures for bottom fishing for all snapper group, I should mention, um, at this September meeting. So that's, uh, it's kind of hard for folks to grasp, I think anyone that Fishes offshore in the South Atlantic, this concept that the species that's just getting more and more abundant um, and harder and harder to avoid since you only have two days, you're allowed to harvest them. Uh, that there's such a huge problem there that we need to expand the, the level of restrictions. You know, you were there, I wasn't, but from what it sounds like, you know, we work on a lot of policy issues where we think they're really important and we want the public to engage, but it's hard to get people away from, you know, their day jobs and their free time to go to sit through a, a fishery management council meeting, but the magnitude of what the South Atlantic council is um, of these discussions and what's potentially going to be on the table seemed to rise to a level where participation was a lot greater than usual. Um, so what was the scene like uh, as this discussion started taking place at the South Atlantic council? Yeah. So in Charleston, just a couple of weeks ago, you know, leading up to that meeting, you know, obviously, bottom fishing closures would be, be a big deal for uh, the recreational fish fishermen um, and the industry as a whole. And so, you know, leading up to the meeting, you know, we just tried to reach out to people and kind of let them know like, hey, this is happening. Um, and so in the three weeks leading up to and during the council meeting, the council received uh, more than a thousand comments, most of them about red snapper and in opposition to bottom fishing closures. Um, at the meeting itself, well, let me back up. Also before the council meeting, um, there was a group of 30 congressmen that wrote a letter to uh, NOAA Fisheries uh, about the possibility of bottom fishing closures and um, requesting that 
you know, before NOAA and the council consider moving forward with any kind of bottom fishing closers for snapper grouper to address red snapper that they consider um, the South Atlantic red snapper count, which has been funded by Congress and is going on now um, and is, you know, is designed to give us a better look at, you know, how that stock is doing. Um, and so their, their, their point was, you know, why would the council or NOAA, you know, move forward with these drastic um, measures while we have this better information coming just around the corner with a new stock assessment. So anyway, coming back into September, um, had more than a thousand comments come into the council. And then when they held public comment on Wednesday of the meeting, there were 45 people in the room, not all of them spoke. Um, they also took comments on the phone. And so I think about 60 people in total ended up speaking. Um, but it was, it was uh, very different from a normal South Atlantic meeting. Normally there's just a handful of people there, like, um, and it's mostly people like myself that are there you know, at every meeting and representing, you know, whatever point of view it is that they're representing. But this meeting was really interesting because we have recreational fishermen there, certainly. We had charter captains. We were in Charleston, so we had boat builders. Uh, we had all sorts of people from the recreational fishing industry. We had the president of Shimano there. Um, Congressman Rutherford from Northeast Florida called into the meeting um, to speak about you know, red snapper and, you know, reiterate the points that were made in that congressional letter. So it was um, pretty unusual for the South Atlantic Council that there was all of the, this great representation from uh, really just the, like the cross section of the recreational um, fishery industry. That's great to see. And, uh, you know, you talk about the numbers, 40 some people there in uh, person, um, but, you know, everyone speaks for a few minutes and it ends up taking a lot of time. And, uh, you know, those voices end up mattering quite a bit, especially when you get, you know, a room full of them. Um, so hopefully it, it sounds like it was um, a message heard loud and clear of uh, pretty strong resistance to this concept. And, you know, it's not it's not an unreasonable position to have. We, you know, we know that better science is coming. Congress is funded this new independent study to determine uh, the condition of, of red snapper. Um, why would we do something drastic based off of um, data that has a fair amount of concern around it and just doesn't seem to be aligning with real life experience on the water? Um, let's not rush and do something hasty that we know is going to have a severe economic impact uh, where there doesn't seem to be an actual conservation concern that needs to be addressed, but rather um, more of a science and data concern that we need to work through. Uh, so I don't know, how well was that message received? And was there any sort of discussion of, of next steps of where NOAA and where the council plans to go with this whole bottom fishing time area closure thing? Yeah, so overall, I would say it was received quite well. So you know, just on the side at the meeting, I had, you know, some conversations with council members, and I think they were really appreciative that, you know, people came out to the meeting and called in and wrote to the council, you know, to let them know where, what they're thinking about this, right? So, you know, because it's a difficult decision for the council to make. And, you know, having been someone who has been at that table before, 
Um, you know, at least for me, I always appreciated knowing, you know, going into a decision kind of where people are, um, rather than trying to kind of guess how, you know, a management decision, what the implications of that would be. So, um, you know, ultimately by the end of the week, you know, the council decided that, okay, you know, they, they know they need to address uh, overfishing of red snapper and what they decided to do, you know, for the short term, they are going to um, implement the catch recommendations that they have from their science and statistical committee. Um, so they'll be moving forward with that. Um, and I think the timeline for finalizing that will be by March. Um, and there's a couple of different ways that other ways that they're talking about doing that in that same document or action. Um, but spatial area closure is not, is not one of them. So when the council discussed, you know, how to move forward, they were pretty clear that they did not want to look at that in the short term or even really the medium term, you know, there was a complete consensus around that. Um, but, you know, in general that, you know, they're trying to address, you know, these short-term actions for Red Snapper. And then in the longer term, they discussed taking a holistic look at the snapper grouper fishery and ways to improve management of that fishery, um, you know, rather than, you know, just coming forward in the short term and just putting big closures in place to address overfishing of Red Snapper. So I would say it was a really positive meeting, um, certainly for us, and it sounds like it was positive for council members because they, you know, got got input that was you know helpful to them in making decisions. I know a lot of times this stuff can seem uh, intimidating and frustrating, even for, for those of us that do it as a day job, but especially for um, folks in the fishing community who track these issues, but, um, don't understand the process and don't, uh, you know, it, it's easy to sort of lose trust that you, you had the ability to have a voice and have a say in it because, um, it seems like a lot of times these decisions are made from the outset and it's just, you know, going through the motions of the public process. But I think as this case has proven, um, participation does matter. And, um, especially if you get uh, a large enough group with a really strong, compelling message delivered in the right way, it, um, you know, it can help, uh, at least slow down, um, some bad ideas and, uh, hopefully bring some more sanity into the process. So, uh, so thanks to you, Martha, for your role and, um, getting the message that to the right people and getting them to show up. And yeah, clearly it was good cross section of the, the fishing community that came and deliver a good message. A lot of credit to, as you mentioned, Congressman Rutherford from Florida, who, uh, you know, has been a full participant. He led that letter you mentioned. He participated in the, uh, the, the public comment session. He has um, uh, really helped lead the authorization of, uh, of, of funding for this uh, South Atlantic Red Snapper count. So he's really gone above and beyond to help. And, uh, you know, for a congressman who's got plenty of other stuff going on in the uh, political landscape right now to, to be devoting that much time to um, this issue shows the importance of it, um, not just his district there in Northeast Florida, but um, yeah, really throughout the, the region and um, the economic impacts of it, the cultural, you know, social benefits of, uh, of uh, fishing that um, clearly these are big issues. And um, 
I don't know that they've always gotten the attention that they deserve, but um, seems like we're we're making progress there. So, well, uh, well, thanks, Martha, for the update. I guess any sort of last thoughts on where we go from here with uh, with South Atlantic Red Snapper? Do you feel like at least short term we're 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 away from the ledge and um, hopefully have some time to think through more rational steps, um, recognizing that. In the short term, we're not going to get much more than two days, and people should be thankful if we get that. But um, uh, where do you see next steps going with Red Snap from the South Atlantic? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I, I think you're right. You know, short term, it's looking like, you know, unfortunately, it's kind of going to be more of the same with short, very short, or no, you know, recreational Red Snapper season. But, you know, the council when they you know were discussing how to move forward um they are going to look at uh, some different runs of the stock assessment with um lower lower presumed discards and looking at different essentially um rates of uh, folks using descending devices um just to kind of see okay you know uh, discards are driving, or I should say discard mortality is really driving this push to, the push to end overfishing and then have been, I guess I should say, pushing this, um, you know, uh, movement for bottom fishing closures. And so the council is going to have a chance to kind of look at, well, you know, what what if the, the discard information that we're getting isn't so great, which we know that it's, pretty fuzzy um, for, you know, reasons that are probably would take up a whole other podcast. Um, so I'm not going to go there, but um, so they're going to look at that um, at upcoming meetings. And then, you know, they are going to continue with this effort um, to look at the snapper grouper fishery, which is 55 species um, in a whole other way. Um, you know, how could they improve management, not only for red snapper, but for things like gag grouper and amberjack and red porgy um, and a number of the other species that are, that people are fishing for out in the South Atlantic. So that'll be a longer term process that'll, you know, people have lots of opportunities to engage in, but I think that's kind of what's ahead for this council. Gotcha. Well, um, slow incremental progress. Hopefully you don't make too many steps in the wrong direction on the way to that progress. But uh, yeah, the frustrating thing, I think for a lot of people is these problems uh, don't get created overnight and they don't get fixed overnight either. But um, hopefully here before long, we can feel a little bit better about the the state of the fisheries management in the South Atlantic. So, well, thanks again, Martha, um, for being here and for uh, all the work you do and uh, for helping uh, heard the cats at that council meeting and um, getting to at least a good good end point for now, but plenty more work ahead. So, uh, so I'll let you get back to it. But thanks again for joining and uh, for being I, again. I think our first repeat guest. That's an honor. Hopefully, you feel like it's an honor. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, thanks again for joining. Of course. Thanks again to Martha for joining and showing the strength that the sport fishing community can have when we get involved and we speak out with one voice. We'll be back in a couple weeks with the next episode, but in the meantime, please subscribe, give us a five-star review, and share the Politics of Fish podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks for listening and tight lines.